Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back with another Halloween bonus episode. Another top ten. Yes. More of our voices in the same <laughs> week, you lucky people. So this week's top ten. Yeah, you can explain this. It's a, it, it's a weird one that we, we sort of came up with. We've seen lists online. Um, but for this one, we, we kind of struggled to find lots of films, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, there's no honourable mentions for this one. Yeah, it was a, uh, it's films, horror films, by directors who aren't horror directors. Yes. So how we've done it is that it's horror films by directors who never did another horror film again or before. Or they're just not well known for making horror films yeah, there's quite a f- I say yeah. that for Steven Spielberg specifically yeah. oh because he's got oh, Jurassic Park po- yeah okay Jurassic Park oh shit he did Poltergeist well apparently he did Poltergeist oh yeah it is a Toby Hooper <laughs> film <laughs> But is it bad that I'm in the state of mind that he's directed Poltergeist and he apparently <laughs> hasn't directed Poltergeist? So, so essentially what we're saying is directors like Wes Craven, Toby Hooper, George Romero, Clive Barker are horror directors. Yeah. They're famous for their horror films. They've created classics. But... They're horror directors. Yes, yeah, they're, they're horror know, autors. Icons, yeah, horror yeah. autors. Whereas the films we're going to be discussing are from directors who've made many non-horror films. And I know this is a debate that comes up a lot. Uh, no, there's no David Lynch films on here because get the fuck out of here. He, he's a horror director. Yeah. That's it's debated a lot. Yeah, a lot, a, of, a lot of his films... They're horror films. There's horror. no, no yeah. way of looking at it. Exactly. Firewalk and Me is a horror film. Eraserhead's a horror film. Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. Lost Highway is a horror Lost film. Lost Highway is definitely a horror Inland film. Inland Empire. You know, yeah. yeah. There's no, no denying that. And also, Brian De Palma's also a horror director. I won't be told differently. He's a, he's a very versatile director, but he, he's made a lot of horror films. That people don't often class as horror films. Yeah, I mean, people might say that Carrie's is only a horror film, yeah, but The Fury is basically... Dress to Kill is a horror film. Dress to Kill, yeah, slasher, essentially. Um, you know, Dress to Kill is essentially psycho. Sisters. Sisters is a horror sisters, film. Sisters Very much a horror film. Is a horror film, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So yes, Brian De Palma is partially a horror director, so he's not included in this list. Yeah. But... Feel free to give us any suggestions yes. once we've Yeah, finished. if we've missed any account, let us know. And as I said with the zombie list, we haven't seen every film ever made, so this is our list of our favourite horror films by non-horror directors. Uh, there might be films we missed out that we haven't seen. If you think so, let us know, and we'll check them out. Yes. Starting at number 10, a film you only recently watched for, uh, recently for the first time, Near Dark, released in 1987. Directed by Catherine Bigelow. And what we're going to do with all these directors, I'm going to list our films that they're most well-known for uh, aside from these films. Mm. So she's most well-known for The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Strange Days. Yes. Uh, Near Dark stars Adrian Pastar, Jenny Wright, and Lance Hemrickson. And the plot is a small-town farmer's son reluctantly joins a travelling group of vampires after he's bitten by a beautiful drifter. Near Dark's one of my favourite vampire films. It was a good film. It was a less fun version of Lost Boys 
Yeah, it's, it's a darker. darker it's, it's, it's still it's got its camp elements. Yeah, but this is more of a horror film than Lost Boys. Yes, this is more. It was. There were some brutal. very uncomfortable scenes, yeah. actually. Um, and obviously, Catherine Bigelow is the first woman to win Best Director at yeah. the Oscars for The Hurt Locker. So you've seen The Hurt Locker. How does this compare to her directing outside of horror? Uh, well, The Hurt Locker is uh, essentially a very... Uh, it's a war film, really, mm-hmm. and it centres on um, military men. Soldiers. Yeah. Why did I struggle on that word? Soldiers are in the bomb uh, disposal unit. Mm-hmm. So it's very thrilling, yeah. and there are some horrific scenes in it, mm-hmm. but it's very much um, realistic. It's the mm. realism, and it's 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 a very good film. It won best picture as well, so I would recommend it. Obviously, near dark is very unrealistic. Yeah. It's very over the top. And it's a Western as yes. well. It's very yeah. much a, a vampire Western film, um, which is an interesting, it's an interesting uh, road to go down, uh, especially because I don't think there was particularly, I don't think we were overrun by vampire Westerns back then. I don't think we have been since either. Um, and that's why it stands out for me. I think it's uh, a really, really good film. Yeah, it is. And she's, yeah. she's a great director. It's, it's very 80s. They loved their vampires in the 80s, so it's, it's mm-hmm. in that sort of vein. Bill Paxton's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, Bill Paxton is usually the best thing in a lot of what he's yeah. in. Um, he, yeah, it's, it's very good, it's very good. If, if you like your 80s horror films, you should have already seen it. Yeah. It was scandalous that I hadn't. It was. And next up, a film that we both only watched for the first time this year is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978, the remake. Uh, directed by Philip Kaufman, who is known for The Unbearable Lightness of Being, The Wanderers and The Right Stuff, starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams and Jeff Goldblum. Uh, when Strange Seeds Drift Off to... Uh, straight, get it together, Gary. Excuse when me. Strange Seeds Drift to Earth from Space, mysterious pods begin to grow and invade San Francisco, California, where they replicate the residents into emotionless automatons, matons, uh, one body at a time. Great remake. It is, actually. And um, I've seen on a few lists that we look at the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Um, so we haven't seen that, unfortunately. No. But there could be a case to put that on a, on a list like this. Um, but it's very good. Yeah. I mean, there's some top-class acting as well. Some Lemon... Uh, lemon? Lemon Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Um, from Star Trek, obviously. Donald Sutherland. Uh, there's some real iconic scenes in it, too. Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, of course. Um, quite early for Jeff Goldblum, isn't it? Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's quite intense in scenes yeah. as well. It, it is very good. And the director was... What was he famous for? So he made uh, The Wanderers, which we watched. Uh, the yes. right stuff and the unbearable likeness of being. The Wanderers, I liked. I didn't love. I liked it. Um, a case of soundtrack being better than the film. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that is true. It's it's just a very very much a product of its time, really. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those. It's a gang film from the 70s set in the... Was it the 50s or the 60s? The 50s, saying? I believe. Um, it, was, it was good. It was good. Um, it's got a cool following, hasn't it? It's got a cool following. But it's certainly not a horror film. No. And... I mean, unlike 
uh, you know, we were discussing with uh, Catherine Bigelow, I could see similarities between the two. Okay. He's got a very specific style, I think. Yeah. Um, which I can't, I can't say because I haven't seen any of his other films, but between those two, it's noticeable. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, The Wanderers, yeah, check it out. It's, it's all right for a, for a one-time watch. Invasion yeah. of the Body Snatched on the other hand, I could see myself revisiting it. Is yeah, it, it, it's, it, in terms of a horror film, it is very good. It, it is very good, and it's fun to watch as well. And next up, at number eight, we have a film we watched recently for the first time, The Innocence from 1961, uh, directed by Jack Clayton, who is known for Our Mother's House, The Great Gatsby from 1974, and Room at the Top, starring Deborah Kerr, Peter Wingrade and Megs Jenkins. A young governess for two children becomes convinced that the house and grounds are haunted. This is a tough one between seven and eight. Spoiler alert, number seven is The Haunting. Um, they're both very well-known ghost films from around the same time. Both masterpieces for different reasons, though. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to put them together and yeah. class them together, but I, I think they're telling very different stories. Yeah. Um, the Innocence is very good, and it, it's Deborah Kerr that really solidifies it as a great yeah. film. Her acting is exceptional and in it, The Innocence. It does what a, a lot of films try to do now. A lot of films try to go down a creepy kid road yes. um, these days. The Innocence nails it. Um, because what's creepy is, once they introduce the brother into the film, who's like, I don't know, fucking eight years old or something like that, he talks like he's an adult, and he's fucking annoying, and you just fucking hate watching him, but at the same time, that's creepy, he's like an adult in a kid's body. Yeah, I, I think sometimes creepy kids in films are too starey. And they're too... It's very obvious that they're... They have white eyes, they're yeah, possessed. or whatever the hell, that, you know... Uh, whereas in these kids, they're fucking annoying. Yeah. But kids are annoying. Mm. And, you know, they felt a little more real. Yeah. The the kids. And the acting from the kids was quite good yeah. as well. So, you know, sometimes it's iffy with and, child actors. And it doesn't just say it is a ghost film. It leaves it up for interpretation, doesn't it? Even yeah. after it ends, you know. There's many ways you can look at this film. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's based on the Turn of the Screw. Yeah. It's a short film. And, by, uh, short novel it's recently been turned into uh the turning earlier this year and the haunting of bly manor um both of which haven't particularly had the best reviews so I, been I can't mixed really... for bly manor hasn't it? yeah i've seen a lot of people saying it's the greatest thing since sliced bread another saying it's abysmal yeah I mean, I don't think it could capture the atmosphere this film creates. Mm. Um, it's it's very specific to this film. It it holds up really well. It's it's really really good. Considering I, he's the actor, I, I I can't say I've heard of Our Mother's House. I was gonna say, um, have you seen any of his other? I've films seen Great Gatsby seventy four. Mm-hmm. Great Gatsby seventy four. Um, what? How did it compare to the other seventy three films? <laughs> yeah. I've seen the first 73, just 1 to 10. Uh, no, Great Gatsby uh, is a, obviously a very different film, a very different story. Um, set in a big house, though. He, I think he loves his big houses. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, I haven't seen Room at the Top. We actually own Room at the I Top. I thought we did. It's very much... But that's that's pretty much a, a kitchen sink drama. Yeah. That's very... Which very... I can see from The Innocence. I can see that being implemented. 
Yeah. I think it, it has that sort of drama side to it that could be... It is, it's very much felt like a film from nineteen from the 1960s. Mm. Like a drama from the 1960s as well as a horror film. Yeah, it wasn't set in the 1960s. No, it? but it felt it felt like it though. Okay. You know, you know, you know I know what, what you're on about. I know what you're on about. Hopefully everyone else listens to this. <laughs> yes, The Innocents. Watch it. So, coming in at number seven is a film we've discussed previously on the podcast. There's a few on it we've discussed previously on the podcast. It is The Haunting from 1963, directed by Robert Wise, who is very well known for, and I know you want to talk about this, The Sound of Music, West Side Story, <laughs> and Star Trek The Motion Picture. Starring Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, and just a reminder, in case you haven't listened to that episode in a while, Hill House has stood for about 90 years and appears haunted. Its inhabitants have always met strange, tragic ends. Now, Dr. John Markway has assembled a team of people who he thinks will prove whether or not the house is haunted. So, as a horror film, this is uh, phenomenal. Yeah. It's still scary. Um, yeah. And that's a very rare thing for... A film to hold up that as well as this has for so long, um, in in terms of scary movies, you know. Um, but again, like I said about the Innocence, it also works as a proper drama as well. You can see that this director isn't specifically a horror director. Yes. Uh, but then that makes it all the more impressive that he made musicals, and then he made this. Yeah. Well, he, he um. Oh. This what year was the haunting? Uh, Nineteen sixty-three. So I think that was either the same year as, or slightly before, the Sound of Music. Oh. Uh, I believe, and then so I think did... West Side Story is later than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, to to make a horror film as good as the haunting, mm. and you know, incorporating so many aspects of great horror filmmaking and inventing some as well yeah and to go from that then to go on to you know timeless classic musicals is that's that's versatility yeah and it's as we mentioned in the in the haunting episode this is very influential yeah um you know you look at films uh, you know as recent as the the conjuring you know these modern, a lot of these modern haunting films, they, they really do take a lot from this. And I think with uh, these kind of directors uh, and and ones that have worked, you know, Jack Clayton and um, Robert Wise mm. have worked with some real great film stars yeah. and know how to get really great performances out of them. Mm-hmm. And one thing that The Innocents and The Haunting have in common is that there is some real wonderful acting on display. Yeah. You know, Julie Harris in The Haunting mm-hmm. is really phenomenal, as well as Deborah Carr in The Innocence. Yeah. And I think maybe coming at it from a different direction mm-hmm. makes it... There's an emphasis on the acting, which really elevates these films. Yes. Yeah. Because they're quite human dramas as well. There is, there is the horror elements, mm-hmm. but The Innocence is a very slow burn. Yeah. And it is so reliant on that performance mm-hmm. that if it was anybody else, or if it was someone who didn't have the skills that Deborah Carr had, mm-hmm. 
it would be shit. No, yeah, it yeah, would yeah. be. It would be shit. And the same can be said for the haunting because you've got all those elements there. That that's fantastic. But if those actors were dire, it would completely take you out of it, and it would make it unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I'm I'm gonna focus on Julie Harris because she is sort of the main um, protagonist. If Julie, if that performance wasn't up to scratch. Mm-hmm. It would make the film seem stupid because yeah. there are ridiculous things going on. Yeah. You know? Just look at... I'm sorry to whoever was in the remake. We did a podcast <laughs> on the remake. Well, it was original versus remake, wasn't it? It was original versus remake. But the acting in the remake isn't great. No. And it makes whatever ridiculousness is happening yeah. even more elevated uh-huh. and takes away from it. Yeah. And I think sometimes it takes a director who has worked with some top stars to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, comparisons with The Sound of Music. Does it? Uh, the Sound of Music also have a coded gay story in it? Uh, no, no coded gay story. But the, the scenes with the Nazis are quite intense. I mean, I mean in, yeah. intense for The Sound of Music. Um, but I don't think there's many comparisons, if I'm being honest. So, moving to number six, we have Peeping Tom, released in 1960, directed by Michael Powell, who is known for The Red Shoes, A Matter of Life and Death, and The Tales of Hoffman. A young man murders women using a movie camera to film their dying expressions of terror, and it stars Carlene's Bomb, okay, Anna Massey, and Moira Shearer. So, Peeping Tom is just as unsubtle and a psycho. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. It's very much the first slasher film, to a certain extent, you could say. Maybe even elements in there, found footage that was influential later yeah. on. Uh, what I'm saying is, this is just as influential as The Haunting. And again, for a director that doesn't make horror films, that's really fucking impressive. Well, this was a huge curveball, a curveball yeah. uh, back in the day, and yeah. completely destroyed Michael Powell's career. Mm-hmm. Um, so a film like The Red Shoes is a very beautiful, um, musical. Yeah. It's surrounded, it's about dance and it's about beauty and the colours in it are so rich. And you can see some of that in Peeping Tom. Mm. Peeping Tom is actually a really gorgeous film to to look at. Yeah. Even though what is on screen is, you know, horrific. Mm -hmm. Uh, horrific for the 60s it's, it's, but yeah let's yeah. be fair it's a masterclass in what you don't see scares you exactly and it, it's a very intense film and again very well acted yeah. these so Moira Shearer um, if I remember correctly I think it was married to Michael Powell I'm not sure please don't quote me on it but she'd worked with him a lot mm-hmm. so he knew how to cast a film yeah and again it works you mm-hmm. know it really does work being able to cast with some good actors, it it just elevates it. Yeah. And, you know, the, the colours, you can see it in all of... Uh, well, Michael Powell worked with... Um, it was Powell and Pressburger mainly, but Michael Powell is the director. In, at times, it's slightly camp as well, um, like that whole dance sequence. Yeah. Uh, and I think that probably... That translates from something like The Red Shoes. Yeah, yeah. Red, Red Shoes is more about ballet. Mm. But um, you have 
Black Narcissus, which you need to watch. Yeah. Um, which has some... that also Michael Powell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that has some very intense scenes. Well, that influenced Midsummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good film. Beautifully shot. Like, really a stunning film, Black Narcissus. Mm. That, that's the one I want. And it, there's scenes of nuns going crazy, that, yeah. you know, and quite intense. And so you can see aspects of it. But this was, at the time, was a huge curveball and everybody fucking hated it. And now it's considered a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, really. And continuing with masterpiece, well, that's mo- you know, majority of this list is full of masterpieces. And next up, we have number five, Alien, released in 1979, directed by Ridley Scott, who is known for Blade Runner, Farmer and Louise, and Gladiator, starring the the Queen herself, Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, and John Hurt. After a space merchant vessel receives an unknown transmission as a distress call, one of the crew is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realise that its life cycle has merely begun. Now, I mean, there is the argument that Ridley Scott did do Prometheus and Alien Covenant, but I'm not classing that because they are prequels to Alien. So, same thing. Um, yeah, Ridley Scott's not a horror director, in the slightest. No. And that shows in, in Blade Runner. He's a sci-fi director. Which is why it's an absolute miracle that somehow he managed to make a slasher in space that is also an allegory for sex and uh, has an alien as a slasher. Was this Ridley Scott's first film? May have been. May have been. You you get a lot of directors whose first film is, you know, horror. Yeah. Um, Don't you? Uh, he, not, he knows his sci-fi, yeah, you know, he, yeah. he really it's does. It's not usually as good as Alien, of course, but, um, yeah, um, it's a great film, of course. It's a slasher in space, yeah. essentially, with an alien. Um, yeah, again, you know, great performance. You know, John Hurt is mm. a fantastic yeah. actor, you know, he... What is quite a, the chest burster scene is quite a ridiculous scene, but everybody plays it so well yeah. that it makes it scary. It makes yeah. it intense. Yeah, I know I keep I'm beating a dead horse, but it really does show with these films. And it's one of the most surprising scenes as well in a film. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, something that the next film achieves within a certain scene as well, and, and that's the thing. You know, I think when directors don't usually go for horror, when they do go for horror, they just completely let it all out and that's exactly what Ridley Scott does here it's a slow burner but it's very much a terrifying slow burner uh, and it also it, it gave birth to one of the greatest uh, female horror characters of all time yeah absolutely and I think maybe d- directors who l- loved horror who who like horror because I, I, I certainly believe you can't make a great horror film unless you actually like horror yeah who like horror films, but come in at it at a different angle. So, it, in 1979, you know, horror films were getting a bit more intense. Yeah. You know, but they were, in the 70s, you were getting this very real horror, Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre being the big example. You know, Last House on the Left, where the horror was being brought to the real world. Mm. And so when you get something like Alien, it's coming at a slasher film, essentially, Mm. but at a completely different angle 
which makes it which opens it up to so much more and just makes it brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And and prior to this, sci-fi horror films were very much guys in suits as creatures. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously, Godzilla's a sci-fi horror film. Godzilla's one of my favourite films of all time. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but this just introduced something entirely new. Yeah, it's, it's it was all sort of like space Frankenstein yeah. comes to Earth. But then you got Blade Runner, which was uh, very much a milestone for sci-fi cinema as well, in mm-hmm. general. Um, so, uh, of course, Gladiators, very well received. And oh, do you know I've never seen Gladiators? I've never seen it. Have you seen Farmer and Louise? I have seen Farmer and Louise. Um, and again, you know, absolute slay queens in yeah. the leads. He, kn- he knows how to pick them. Yeah, he's just a fantastic filmmaker. Um, and he really does show. But uh, I'm sure Alien will be a discussion for a full podcast episode one day so. in the very, uh, in, in the very, I was going to say in the very near future, probably not, we're quite booked up for a while. In the future, one day in the future. Before we die. Um, maybe the whole franchise, who knows. So, coming in at number four, we have Jaws, and I kind of feel like saying slash Jurassic Park, because Jurassic Park is a horror film. Yeah, Jurassic Park is a horror film for who? Like kids, and not uh, so film. is Jaws to a certain extent. I suppose so. Jaws released in nineteen. We'll stick with just Jaws, but we'll, we'll mention something about Jurassic Park. Um, Jaws released in nineteen seventy five, directed by Steven Spielberg. We all know what he's known for, but just in case you were wondering, Schindler's List, E. T. and Saving Private Ryan. Uh, apparently, three of his most highly regarded films. This, who's this according to? Uh, IMDb. 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 Okay. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I put Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was the fourth one. That That's, was the fourth one. I would one have now. put that one. Starring Roy Scheider. Scheider? Did I say it right? Scheider, yeah. Um, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Um, yeah, like I said, the argument that Jurassic Park should have been in this position, absolutely. I, I consider Jurassic Park as a horror film. Um, it's a creature feature. It's a horror film. Jaws is a creature. But Jaws is a creature feature and Jaws is a superior film. I think Jaws personifies what I was saying about Ridley Scott. Yeah. So here's someone, Stephen King, who had a love for horror films when he was younger. Stephen King? Stephen King. Stephen Spielberg. Excuse me. (laughs) It's all the same fucking thing. Stephen Spielberg, who had a love for horror when he was a kid. And so he's taken those creature features, those monster features, and come at it from a different angle, yeah. which is the very real um, shark attack. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, uh, they don't actually kill that many, but a lot of people still think that every shark is going to bite them in half because yeah. of this film. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. This is very much a milestone in horror. Oh, yeah. Um, we talk about cultural resets. Jaws was a huge yeah. cultural yeah. reset. It was the first aspects. blockbuster. Yeah. It was the first blockbuster Absolutely. of all time. Um, and uh, But what I was saying before is that he may have also done Jurassic Park. Maybe you could argue that Duel is a horror film to a certain extent. And yeah. let's face it, we know he directed Poltergeist. But... Well, we don't know. We weren't there. It's so, it looks like... He produced, apparently produced Poltergeist, and Toby <laughs> Hooper directed <laughs> it, but it looks exactly like a Steven Spielberg film. Um, but either way, we'll say Jaws, because 
Steven Spielberg's not known for horror. You say Steven Spielberg to someone, they're going to think of E.T. Yeah. Or, or Jurassic Park, but still, they wouldn't think, oh, Steven Spielberg, the horror director. No, not at all. No, 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 of course. Of course they wouldn't. So this no. very much belongs on this list. Um, and, and again, great cast. Yeah, great cast. Roy and... Scheider, you know, Oscar-nominated. Yeah. Richard Dreyfus, Oscar winner. You know, a really great cast who can sell it, yeah. sell the story. And the greatest scores of all time. Oh, um, my God, the score makes the film. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's one of those as well. Like I was saying with Ridley Scott... Steven Spielberg's not a horror director, but when he gets the chance to do horror, uh, you know, even look at the kitchen scene in Jurassic Park, um, he he goes all out. It's, um, you know, Jaws has a number of scenes that still stick with me to this very day, and it's been a long time since I watched it, um, but like the head underwater scene, uh, the opening moments, it's just, it's really is a masterclass in horror filmmaking. Which is shocking coming from someone who's not a horror director. Yeah. But I think I think more than anyone in sort of film history, mm. he's known as an all-rounder. Yeah. Sci-fi, um, drama, war films. Yeah. You know, he... I think more than anyone else, he's known as someone who can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Jaws is one of the greatest films of all time and I really need a rewatch of it. Um, watch Jaws, just don't watch Jaws 3D, whatever you do. Or Jaws of Revenge, when uh, the shark comes for revenge. Oh, I want... I want to watch that. That's definitely, Michael Caine. that's definitely a podcast. I've never... I haven't seen any of the sequels. I've only seen 3D, but I think 4 might actually be... Uh, I think... Oh, a po- that's definitely yeah. a podcast episode. Or Cruel Jaws, the unofficial sequel. Didn't Michael Caine... He wasn't able to pick up his Oscar for Hannah and his sisters <laughs> because he was filming Jaws 4. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on to number three we have Don't Look Now released in 1973 directed by Nicholas Rogue it's known for Bad Timing Walkabout and Performance and of course The Witches which again is technically a horror film but Nicholas Rogue is not a horror director starring Julie Christie Donald Sutherland and Hilary Mason a married couple grieving the recent death of their young daughter Erin Venice. Uh, Venice. 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 They're Venice. in Venice. Venice. When they encounter two elderly sisters, one of whom is psychic and brings a warning from beyond. I'm just going to let you take the floor on this one. Okay, so... Apparently this isn't allowed to be my favourite film of all time because it's your favourite film of all time. It's not my favourite film of all time. <laughs> That's of actually on this list as well. Um, this is one of my favourite films of all time and I know a few of you are going to sit there and you're going to say, this is far too high. Whatever. It was my choice. I put it at number three. I love this film. I agree. I think it should be at number three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a masterpiece. It, it really is. It, it is expertly crafted. Mm-hmm. Each second is expertly crafted. It is a beautiful film to look at. It is exquisitely acted, again, because it's a very human story. Yeah. It's There are elements of the supernatural... And there are, you know, elements of horror. It is a horror film, but it is a human drama-led story. Yeah. It Donald Sutherland, again, second time on this list, and Julie Christie give, as far as I'm concerned, their best performances 
that I've ever seen them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Really wonderful. A great supporting cast. Mm -hmm. Venice has never looked so beautiful and yet so sinister Mm. as it is in this film. Venice is a character in this film. And I I just think it's wonderful. I I really do. I, I just think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Because it's so well made and every aspect of it is so well done. Yeah. And you really care about these people who are in this awful situation from, you know, trying to get over the the death of their daughter, uh, which is opens the film. So it's no yeah. spoiler. It, it's in the plot. Um, and that it's haunts us as well as haunts it's them. It's very... Because it's a very intense scene yeah, at I, the beginning. It's very influential on something like Hereditary. Yeah. Uh, I think for a modern audience, if you've seen Hereditary and you haven't seen Don't Look Now or watch Don't Look Now because you'll love it, it, yeah. it works in the exact same way Hereditary does. Yeah. It's very subtle, but when it the horror comes in, it's very sharp and very effective. Um, one of the most memorable, you know, scenes of all time in any horror film. And um, the ending. Coming up to the end, yeah, yeah, during the third act. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, it, I think Nicholas Rogue's filmmaking translates... Uh, I could very much see this style in performance. wasn't the biggest fan of performance, but his filmmaking style is very much there. Yeah, yeah, um, it's true. And even in The Witches, to a certain extent, there's just a few things here and there that he does that you know you're watching a Nicholas Rogue film. He has got a style. Um, I've, I've also seen Track 29, which has some quite intense scenes. Mm. Um, yeah, Nicholas Rogue really does. He does have a style. Yeah, he does. Um, but again, you know, he he's he's kind of dabbled in everything apart from straight up comedy. I, I don't think I could. Ah, oh, the witches, I suppose. Yeah, and that's not straight up comedy. Well, right? it's it's very much comedy. Yeah, but he also... may have done straight up comedy. I haven't seen all his films. No. He, he is one of those directors where I would like to see all of his films. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, number two, we have a film we spoke about on Tuesday's podcast episode, The Shining, mm-hmm. uh, from 1980, of course, directed by Stanley Kubrick, who was known for 2001 A Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, and being a dick to Shelley Duvall, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, I don't need to read you the plot, you just go to Tuesday's episode, um, and also, seriously, you don't know the plot to The Shining, what are you listening for? Um, yeah. I've only seen A Clockwork Orange when it comes to Stanley Kubrick outside of The Shining, which is terrible. I need to change that soon. Oh, I wonder what you were going to say there. What are you said, on about? What you said Clockwork Orange is terrible. No. Oh, my Lord. No. Um, Clockwork Orange might as well be a horror film. Um, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, elements of it are definitely horror. Yeah. It's just as intense as... Oh, God, as we've this. totally fucked up this it's, list. Well, no, because it's not it. a horror... You ask anyone if Clockwork Orange is a horror film, they're going to say no. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Stanley Kubrick is not a horror director. He's not a horror director. But there are scenes that are just as, if not more, intense than The Shining in that film. And I think that's definitely a sign of Kubrick's filmmaking. Yes. Yeah. I know, I, I, Clockwork Orange is probably from what I've well apart from actually Doctor Strangelove Doctor Strangelove is quite fastly paced um but I've seen um Eyes Wide Shut mm. and that's slow that yeah. that's a 
quite a slow slow burner. Uh, uh, two thousand and one, a space odyssey, mm-hmm. is a very slow. You know, is a very slow. You know, it's it's not an in, completely intense film, um, and the Shining's quite similar. There's a build in the Shining. Yeah, there's there's definitely a build there. Yeah, and whereas Clockwork Orange is a bit batshit crazy from the get go. Yeah. Yeah, Kubrick's very much an auteur, I think. Um, you know, despite not being a straight-up horror director, it is very much a Kubrick film is a Kubrick film. I mean, that's just judging from A Clockwork Orange, but uh, I do want to watch more of his films soon. But that's number two, and if you want to listen to us talk about how great it is, go and listen to our 90-minute episode from Tuesday. <laughs> yeah? Do you have anything else to say? Yes, of course. No, no. It's not really. Go, go back and listen to the episode, and you'll know yeah. our opinions on The Shining. And that's only because it's so recent. We will speak a little more about this next one. Because I think if we did it, we'd be built. Oh, so. yeah, we have done an episode on this. Number one, what we believe is... Well, our favourite horror film from a non-horror director. A joint decision. We have The Silence of the Lambs, released in 1991. Directed by Jonathan Demme, who is known for Rachel Getting Married, Philadelphia, and Stop Making Sense. Rachel Getting Married? Rachel Getting Married. That's his most popular film. I knew he directed... No, surely Silence of the Lambs is, would have been number I one. I think Silence of the Lambs is number one, but that's second. And his second, Rachel Getting Married. Yeah. Oh. Starring Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Lawrence A. Bonet. Bonnet? Bonnet? Whatever. I'll probably have said the same thing on the episode about this. Bonnet, um, Bonnet. A young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulati- manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer a madman who skins his victims please continue chris uh just to reiterate about great acting makes a truly phenomenal horror film jodie foster and anthony hopkins in this film are perfect yeah second by second perfect performances yeah and that makes this film. It really does. Yeah. It does. Every element comes together so perfectly. But if Jodie Foster had given a shit performance, if Anthony Hopkins had given a shit performance in this film, it would be nowhere near this list. The world would be a different place. The it world of horror be. would be a very different this place. This is a horror film that, you know, and we don't always go based on Oscars because sometimes they get it wrong. But it won. Five Oscars. A horror film won five Oscars. You know, it's just... Every aspect of it is perfectly crafted. It's a very intense film. Mm. It's a human drama as as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we care about um, Clarice Starling. Clarice Starling is a legend. Uh, (laughs) She's a real queen. And we have an affinity for that. We like our, our... female-led films. Um, but I, I, I just think it's wonderful. I really do. And Jonathan Demme, I'd seen Stop Making Sense, which is a Well, that's what I was going to say. I, that's the only one of his films that I've seen outside of this. Talk about slow builds. Um, <laughs> Stop Making Sense is literally a slow build. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't even get a full band until <laughs> yeah. halfway through. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we we spoke about uh, Spike Lee's American Utopia last week, and when you make a concert film, you, there's a certain number of things you need to do right to make it right, and I do believe Stop Making Sense is one of the greatest concert films of all time. I think that's always a reference point for concert films. And you can tell it's Jonathan Demme at times, you can really tell. Jonathan Demme, out of everybody on this list, his style is the most distinct, because it it's the directing stands out a mile off in Silence of the Lambs and like the close-up shots and everything, um, how it feels like they're talking to the camera. That style really stands out. Mm. Um, and, and I genuinely think you can see some of that in Stop Making Sense, which is rare because it's a concert film, you know, but it still stands out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Silence of the Lambs is one of the greatest films of all time and for it not to be number one would be criminal. I think a, a weird thing is that Jonathan Demme is probably, even though he's our number, Silence of Lambs yeah. is our number one pick, he's probably the least well-known. Yeah. I, I mean, in terms, I mean, I know you've got Jack Clayton and Robert Wise who are, you know, older filmmakers mm. that people may not be aware of. But in terms of modern mm. directors, you know, you've got Stanley Kubrick Steven Spielberg, yeah. Ridley Scott there, who have made big films, big, well-known films, and they're well-known directors, yeah. household names. Jonathan Demme, I don't think, is in that category. No. He's made great films. Uh, I've seen uh, Something Wild, which I really enjoyed, uh, which which is a comedy, essentially. Uh, he made Philadelphia, which was really well-received. I haven't seen it really well received um but then like he said rachel getting married yeah like rachel getting married is one of his top films you know married to the mob you know these are very different films and he's surprisingly sort of the one that's struggled the most Mm. potentially even though we've put that as number one you know it's my favorite film ever yeah i just i just find that quite funny i I don't know what it means he deserves more recognition even though it's just for science yeah well no i I enjoyed something wild and i'm I'm just you know if we watched philadelphia i'm sure we'd enjoy yeah if we watched married to the mob i'm sure we'd enjoy it but that concludes our list. And we actually stuck to our word, and this was a mini bonus episode. It was. This week. Just a mini one, just for our opinion. <laughs> um, we will, of course, be back on Tuesday discussing Candyman. Uh, masterpiece. What's that called? Candyman. Uh, Candyman, bitch. <laughs> Sorry, what was it called? Candyman, bitch. <laughs> Say it again. Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> oh, I see what you do. I thought you were trying to quote the bathroom scene. No. The best scene of the film. Idiot. I'm trying to get you to say it three or five times. Who the fuck knows how many times you're meant to say it? We will find out. Three, we we will times. do our research and find out for Tuesday's Thank episode. You. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so, we will also be back this time next week with our original versus remake episode for October, which will be Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. And then we'll be back the day after that, in case you hadn't had oh enough of us. We're back on Halloween itself with our 20 scariest movie moments of all time. So, that's something to look Which forward to. Which will probably feature a lot of these fucking yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> These films will be back. Um, <laughs> in case you haven't had enough of speaking about The Shining. Uh, so... I, I think the scariest um, moments list will be full of spoilers so i suggest you go out and watch Get every single horror film horror ever films. made so no spoilers so 
If you're on social media, we're Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Seriously, if we've missed Naming Cat on this list, let us know. Please let us know. It's a very obscure one. If you've got any suggestions, uh, I feel like, uh, apart from a a couple, that we've just gone for the most well-known horror films of all time. I very much stick with the order. I I very much stand by the order of this list. I think it's... Yeah, but, you know, if, if somebody randoms... Done a uh, a really good horror film and, yeah. and not done any others. Usually, yeah, the most it, obscure it ones, the, the obscure horror films, are by people who are horror directors. Yeah. I think that's the difficult part. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe, like, and follow on everything else, and follow us on Spotify. I'm Gazmate two eight five on Instagram, Gazcruise ninety two on Twitter, and Dead at Gaz ninety two on Letterboxd. I am Chris Barker eight two three on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.